Welcome back everyone to the Together for Action 2020 podcast. I'm Andre from The Mental Health uh, and I'm here today with a very special guest, Sally Raphael. Um, she's currently policy chair and consultant at the International Society for Psychiatric Mental Health Nurses, but her 60-year career has included a really impressive array of national and international leadership roles across mental health nursing, as well as numerous national and international publications and presentations. Most recently, she's focused her efforts on advocating for children's mental health. And she'll be giving a talk at the Together for Action 2020 conference on Friday the 9th of October, entitled, Small Numbers Can Be a Force for Policy Change Through Coalitions and Collaborations. Uh, she promises to tell us how healthcare professionals can approach advocating for children's mental health care policymaking. A very warm welcome to the podcast, Sally. Uh, you've said that children are not a political constituency. How does that influence your approach? Well, thank you very much, Andre. Um, it, uh, it, my approach is one that um, to advocate for the those who have no voice, the voiceless. And of course, um, children don't vote, so they're not a constituency, so they don't have any influence when it comes to uh, having legislation in place or advocating for it. I um, <clears throat> have never been one in my career to sit by quietly when I see um, the impact of injustice against children. Uh, recent events in our country related to the border um, zero tolerance policy of the Justice Department in separating children from their parents has um, has been one of the most appalling things, I think, in my career as a healthcare worker. So how do we get the word out? And I see it as my mission uh, that I've taken on for the last at least 35 years to, um, to educate and let people know what's going on and how we can make it change. So I guess you're talking there about political decisions that have a, a harmful effect on mental health, kind of disregarding the mental health impact almost. Um, you know, it, it leads us to think about what's currently going on in the US and, and legislation in relation to health and mental health care. For people listening who aren't too familiar with that, could you, could you give us an overview of what the legislation is like, what impact it's having on people, um, pe particularly people who are living in inequality and poverty and you know at the front line in terms of mental health well we're very uh, we're very much in the public about our uh, atrocities in terms of disparities and the racism which has taken a whole new um uh focus in the in the u.s uh, i've been a long long time child psych nurse and um i i've never seen the conditions that we have now to raise our children, just to throw some numbers at the audience. Um, <clears throat> the 116th Congress, which we're in right now, our federal Congress, it runs from 2019 through 2020. And the pieces of legislation are tracked as they get introduced. And so far, there have been 18,986 pieces introduced of those Mental health was a factor in 
1,100 of them. And child mental health was, was the purpose of 84 of them. So you see from 18,000 to 84 what the focus is. But if you look back two years earlier, and this is the one that astounded me most, I think, recently, there were 61 bills that were um, <clears throat> for mental health and one that was signed into law for child mental health by President Obama. I, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves in terms of the focus. I know we're a big country and now in COVID we have major, major problems, but, um, but nothing gets done. And that's the sadness, and that's where we need to advocate and put pressure on the legislature. You've spent many decades working in this space. Um, feels like you have a lot of knowledge and experience that you can share um, to help people who are similarly driven to change policy and practice to improve young people's lives to protect their mental health a lot of the work that i've done in the uk alongside mental health academics is, is in this space as well you know seeking to influence the policy agenda i think academics often feel very frustrated because it's hard to you know cultivate relationships with the people who are making decisions and to get important new evidence into policy what would your advice be? Give us some tips for practice. Well, <clears throat> one thing, and I'm going to talk about this in my, uh, in my presentation on Friday, is um, to form the coalitions of stakeholders that uh, as a small action group, you find like minds, you find people who, have, who say to you, oh yes, that is a big problem and we need to be, um, be addressing it in some, even if it's a small way. Now, when you talk about research and how um, the legislature, at least our legislature, our Congress approaches research, when I was a, a person working in director of policy for the American Nurses Association, I would go to lobby a certain bill for um, health care, and the uh, the representative would say, "Oh well, we've done our research, and this is why we're backing this position." And we'll, we would say, "No, that's not the position that the people need." And they would, and we'd ask, "Well, what was your research?" And they'd say, "Well, we got two phone calls from constituents." Now, you and I know as, as academics that two phone calls is not enough. And even in a glib way in those days, I would say, well, we can get you 10 phone calls that, that back up our position. Um, so we have to educate, educate, educate um, about the issue and bring it forward. In the 19, mid-1980, uh, 1980, I got on the um, uh, purpose of helping children who had been sexually abused. Now, in that day, no one talked about sexual abuse. I was the director of an emergency room at that time and saw a lot of children who were abused. And um, sexual abuse was like a no-no in terms of what you talked about. But over the years, I got grant funding and I got 
uh, pub publicity and support from even from a country western group who were into uh, fighting child violence. So you pick up the phone, you make phone calls, and you um, try to, and you said now, of course, we have all the media to send documents and things to people, but but you take on the issues that that you're passionate about and that you have the energy to really see through and a small key group of stakeholders can do it and what you educate is you educate the the congressional person's legislative aid you don't have to educate the the senator so much or the congressperson but you, you get to their legislative aid with your uh, information and with your numbers. I mean, the, for example, there are 4 million nurses in the world. So if, if someone from ANA goes forward with a proposal that says, you know, the nurses of America back this, 4 million is a lot of votes. So um, it's not, you know, it's not slighted that way. On child issues, we have smaller numbers, but um, we still can can move agendas. It, 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 we just have to have a lot of fortitude and a lot of creativity, you know. I love your comment that coalitions and collaborations are more effective than single voices. I mean, that's a, that's a mental health nurse leader speaking there. <laughs> um, <laughs> mental health nurses are a particular type of person. I think I'm interested in how you've managed disagreement and uncertainty within those coalitions when you're advocating for a particular population. Can you give us an example of how you've, you know, managed those difficult discussions and found a way forward? Well, the key to any of negotiations or moving forward action plans is to listen, um, to give all individuals involved their time and their space to develop their their proposals and their points of view and listening is an art that not everybody has <laughs> even in the business world today we find more dictates than we find negotiations so um i guess i would say that's the key and um some of the areas when like oh okay here's one when i did form the child abuse clinic at the university of maryland in the 80s um it was within the department of nursing and it was a clinic that had an interdisciplinary team so there was a pediatrician a social worker a psychologist and another nurse and i and and nobody had thought of it before and nobody was promoting it so it became a huge success and the and we became a statewide referral center for child abuse so at that point the director of the de department of pediatrics in the school of medicine and the hospital sent uh, someone to me and said well you've been very successful and we're ready to adopt the baby and I, I had to respond, the baby's not for adoption. You know, the clinic was started by the nursing department. So that's the politics you have to deal with. And they did not get to adopt that baby. Listeners are going to be really keen to, to follow up and, and check out your talk at the conference, which is happening this Friday on the 9th of October. 
uh, I'll include a link to that in the podcast description and also a link to the conference itself. So if people are interested in attending, they can sign up. Um, good luck with the talk, Sally. I'm sure you're going to get a good audience for that. And thanks very much for joining us. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you.